satellite they sent up was I know that I need my time with the Lord. Would you mind standing with me tonight again as we appreciate the Lord and His goodness and His mercy. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. Thank you, Lord. I love you. I adore you. I bow down before you. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. Hallelujah. You. Let's let the Lord stretch our soul toward heaven tonight. Heavenly Father. Hallelujah. I appreciate you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. I love you, Lord. Hallelujah. I love you. I adore you. I bow down before you. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. stand in his presence tonight oh he's been here he's still here hallelujah just kind of waits on us to open up with spontaneous praise and adoration and I know he loves to hear from his redeemed saints of God he paid a great price just to be able to hear the praise of almighty God emit from the lips of the redeemed of all ages Hallelujah. He loves the praise of the seraphim, the cherubim, all those that stand before the throne continually giving him praise. But that doesn't mean as much to him as just to hear us honor and glorify him because he has redeemed us. Praise the Lord. Reach down and take your Bibles and I want you to turn briefly for a moment. Is anybody else hot in here? It is a little warm in here. Brother Brown, turn briefly to the 16th chapter of uh, St. Matthew. If you would indulge me tonight, I would like to just uh, omit the evangelistic part of Sunday night service and uh, get into something that's been troubling me for weeks, in fact, longer than that. So many things happening in the world, and, and it's happening so fast, and we seem to be, as a church, looking for the great cataclysmic things that we could see and identify with, and all at the same time, going on in our world very quickly are signs of time that talk about the coming of the Lord things that he is unfolding and has been unfolding for, uh, I would say, several years. You've got to understand, God's time is not our time. I think Brother King said it one day is a thousand years with God and a thousand years of one day. And, and, and what we think of happening just like that, as far as God is concerned, it does. But as far as we are concerned, it begins sometimes years before, and then it just keeps evolving until it finally comes to a climax. 
And we don't want it to come to a climax and leave us unexpectedly uh, awaiting the coming of the Lord. I want to read briefly, and then we'll go to something else, and allow me my time tonight. Beginning, uh, now Jesus is rebuking the blindness of the Pharisees. In other words, he is talking to them and has talked to them for a long time, and they, like a lot of us today, don't seem to get it. I mean, it just doesn't seem. And uh, it goes on like this, first verse, And the Pharisees also, with the Sadducees, came, and tempting, desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowing. O you hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of time. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them, and he departed. Father, again, thank you tonight for visiting us. We don't deserve it, Lord, but you still do it anyway, and we just want to say, and go on record to say, we just appreciate your kindness, Father, and your lovingness to us, and appreciate, God, the fact that we know that we're never left alone. You're always there. Now, Father, deal with us tonight on your word. Open the hearts and understanding of Saul. Let us not be weary in these things, but let us open our eyes, Father, and see that we have progressed toward the coming of the Lord uh, to a far greater extent than we ever realized. Father, honor it and give honor, and we'll give you honor to you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We have so many things going on in the news. It has been one continual stream of uncertainties, a continual stream of things that's happening until it's almost getting to the place hardly that we cannot keep up with it. As one individual said, I get so sick and tired of it that I just turn off my television or my radio and I don't want to hear it. But that, of course, is the wrong thing to do because... Uh, many things they are saying, if we are aware biblically of what is going on, many things they are saying points to the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, many of us are, are unaware of those things. Uh, the devil, of course, keeps our mind and he keeps us so busy. But there's so many things going on in Kosovo. We have quite a tragedy there. And we have went in, of course, with our troops and forced the uh, the other ones to withdraw, and as they're withdrawing, those in which we have taken up far from the atrocities, they are committing the very same things. And uh, we'll have much more to say about that later, that not, not be included, but those things are happening, and we have, of course, the uh, Gulf War, and then we've had other things that uh, actually are fulfillment to prophecy concerning the coming of the Lord. And then we have just lately, coming into the news, we have the little land of Israel and we have Jerusalem that is coming into the news. And we wonder why all of these things are happening around Jerusalem and all of this, and we'll deal with that, I believe, a little bit tonight. But uh, for the beginning of it, I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but God has chosen over all the wonderful, beautiful cities and capitals in our world and in our nation, 
God has chosen lowly Jerusalem to be the capital of the whole world when he comes. And so when we look at that and look at things that are evolving around Jerusalem, uh, then we have to understand that God is, Jesus is getting ready to come. So tonight, Jerusalem and the end, what does it mean and what is going to happen? Now, God the Creator has said much all throughout the Bible about Israel and about Jerusalem. He made covenants with Israel, and he told them that if they broke these covenants, that they would suffer plagues and diseases and famines, and they would ultimately lose their land. Now, prophet after prophet went through Israel, separated tribes, and also Judah, and, and uh, prophet after prophet went through their prophesying that if they did not follow the commandments of God and come back to God, why, plagues would be there, diseases would be there, famine would be there, and eventually he would have no other choice other than to drive them out of their land, and all these things have happened. But God has promised through Moses, and God promised through Isaiah, and God promised through Ezekiel and other prophets that they would be returned to their land in the last days for his namesake. Not because of what Israel had done, but for his namesake. I want you to turn briefly to Ezekiel, the 36th chapter, and uh, we're going to read verse 17 uh, through 19, 22 through 28, just kind of skipping around those things that are necessary tonight to uh, get to the point that we want to talk about. So I'll go ahead briefly and read, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as the uncleanliness of a removed woman. When I poured my fury upon them for the blood that they had shed upon the land, and for their idols which they had polluted it. Now, we need to stop there long enough to understand the blood he was talking about was the blood of their children. They were sacrificing, of course, to Moloch, and they were sacrificing their children in the fire. And he said, I'm going to pour my fury out upon you because of the innocent blood that you have shed upon the land. The land is tainted with innocent blood. Now, we have to stop here long enough to ask a question. If God would do that to Israel of old, what would he do today when innocent blood of unborn children uh, lies crying out before us for, for the land, and there doesn't seem to be hue and cry about that? Perhaps we're not throwing them in the fire, but in a sense we are not allowing them a life either, and, uh, and we are worshiping, in a sense, the idolatry of that, of course, they worshiped a long time ago. And this is what he said, You have polluted the land, and I scattered them among the heathen, and they were dispersed through the countries according to their way and according to their doings. And then he says, I judge them. You see, there is a judgment of God. We cannot continue to go against God regardless. Now, what Israel thought, God had said time and time again that Israel was the apple of his eye. And actually they were, and because of that, because it was his people, because he drew them out from bondage, because he drove, brought them through the wilderness, across the Red Sea, and all of that, God showed his blessings upon Israel, and he was partisan to them. And uh, so they, in a sense, thought, well, we are the apple of God's eye, 
And whatever we do, why, God will just take care of it. And then God said those dreadful words, I judge them. Now, I don't know about you, but I stand a little bit jittery and a little bit afraid as our nation makes no effort to turn around at all. And all these things going on and all the direction we're going and how Christianity is suffering and all of those things that they have turned aside, I get a little bit afraid because I know that there is a judgment of God. I know that sometimes it's not swift, but it is there. And then when it begins, then it rains on the just and the unjust. So it would behoove Christians begin to get their eyes open and understand that our nation does stand in jeopardy, even as Jerusalem and Israel of old stood in the jeopardy. Then he goes on to say, Therefore say, now this is a message of Ezekiel to the house of Israel. In other words, he is preaching to them. They didn't accept it much. Neither did they accept Jeremiah much, and things hasn't changed a whole lot today. You can preach almost the same way and the same thing, and individuals, if we're not careful, God help us to understand God talks to us because he loves us. He wants us to change. He wants us on our knees. He don't want this nation destroyed any more than he wanted Israel to destroy, destroy it, but... There comes a time when the judgment of God cannot linger. There has to be a turnaround. I think what I'm saying is revival has got to come to the United States of America. And the only place it can come through is the born again, filled with a holy presence of God, individuals on their knees concerned about what is happening in our world today. Individuals out there cannot intercede because they don't know how, but we can and we must. And then he says, Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the heathens whither you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathens, which you have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathens shall know that I am the Lord, said the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathens, gather you out of all countries, I will bring you into your own land, then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean. From all your filthiness and from your idols will I cleanse you. A new heart will I give unto you, and a new spirit will I put into you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and you shall keep my judgments and do them and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Now this is a call again. He had already poured out his wrath upon them and he already scattered them but with judgment also comes mercy. And so the prophet was saying, there will come a time after you have learned your lesson that I will bring you back into your land. Now, I believe that Psalms 102, and you can just mark that, uh, because I'll just be using portions of it to save time. I think it contains some ancient detailed prophecies that are being fulfilled in our day that had begun some time ago and is just about to come to a climax and we sometimes are not even aware of it. Now, when you first read that, the first 11 verses of Psalms 102, uh, it kind of sounds like us. It's uh, expressions of a person 
or that is overwhelmed with adversities. Now, there's nothing wrong with going before God and crying out the things that's happening in your life. I mean, call it a pity party if you want to, but the best place to go with a pity party is to God, all right? Because nobody else is really not really going to understand, all right? Or even though I like company in pity parties, they usually don't understand. But God understands, and there's really nothing wrong uh, with laying out our expressions before God, and this is what the psalmist did, because he was so overwhelmed with what is going on in the world and his inability to change that. <laughs> Have we ever been there? I think we're there right now, all right? We're so overwhelmed with what's happening in the world, and we look around and, hey, 15, 20, 25 individuals, God, what do you expect us to do about it? And the best we can do seems to be very little, not even like a drop in buckets. And so the psalmist David was like that. And uh, the first 11 verses show us that it's nothing wrong with going to God, being overwhelmed with adversities and problems. But then, after you talk to God, let him talk to you, all right? And so at the, middle, at, at the end of the 11 verses, the tone changes. And this is what the psalmist uh, starts talking about. And he talks about God's favor and the restoration of these individuals. And what he says first, but thou, God, shall endure forever. In other words, he come to the realization and acknowledge the greatness of God. And he really said, now David might perish, but God shall live forever. All right? There was an appointed time in history. And there again is the word time, the appointed time in history when God planned to turn his attention back to Israel and back to Jerusalem. He was going to favor them again. He has to, because that was his promise to David. But not only that, he proposed to establish his kingdom, and Jerusalem was to be the ruling capital. And so you say, what has that got to do with us? Plenty. Because a lot of these things are happening right now under our nose, and sometimes we get so disgusted we just snap off the radio, snap off the television, throw the paper away and said, I'm sick and tired of it. But inside there are things that point us to an appointed time. Psalms 132, 102, 13 says, You shall arise and have mercy upon Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time is come. Now there is a set time for God to again turn the favor back to his children and again back to Zion. Now then, the question is this. If we're not careful, we will spiritualize Zion. You've ever, ever sang the songs about Zion and it's a heavenly place and all of that. And if we're not careful, we will spiritualize this. And when we do, we're going to lose what uh, the psalmist is trying to tell us. Is he speaking of a heavenly Zion or a spiritual dwelling someplace or... Is he talking about Jerusalem, which was actually the original Zion? And verse 14 explains it very well, and we are not careful we will miss that. Uh, it says in verse 14, For thy servants take pleasure in her stones, and favor the dust thereof. Now, that's a silly thing. Why are you telling us that? It's showing us that this is a heavenly place. That this is a place with a lot of stones and dust. Now, there is some proof in that. Every building in the whole city of Jerusalem, by law, must be made of Jerusalem stone. 
It's lovely. It gives continuity to the city. And when the sun is golden, all of the buildings there is golden. So stones are a feature in the land of Israel. And also, unfortunately, dust is a feature there also. Notice what the scripture said. Now thy servants take pleasure in stones and favor dust thereof. Proving that this, of course, is talking about a natural Israel. Now, most of the year, Israel experiences fresh, cool, western winds that come from the, Marine, the Mediterranean, and that's even in the summer. But four or five times a year, the wind blows from the east. They're hot, they're dry, they're dusty, and they bring a lot of dust in from the desert. And the city gets so gritty and so filled with dust that people don't even bother to clean it from their houses, cars, or furniture. It doesn't last that long, uh, actually, but it, it, dust is a feature of the literal natural Zion, which is Jerusalem. So this passage here is talking about literal Jerusalem. Now then, going back some years ago, where we have heard it time and time again, but the Holocaust of World War II caused the Soviet Union and other nations to vote in favor of the establishment of a state for the Jewish people. Now these are people of the tribe of Judah, tribe some of Benjamin, half-tribe, of Levi. Now, I am not stupid enough to believe that God is going to get all of Israel in that one little place. Because uh, he told Abraham, your seed would be as the sand of the sea and as the stars of the sky. And there's no possible way that that little land of Israel, as we call it, and that's fine, that's God's purpose, he's going to use that, but there's no way in this world that God can get all of favored Israel they're in that one little place, but that's another message. We won't get into that at all. But this is for the purpose of securing Jerusalem and getting it in the hands of those that God wants it at hand. They decided to show favor to these people because of what they suffered during the Holocaust. Now, you can see the hand of God in bad things as well as good things. You will look and you will notice the Holocaust was bad, it was evil, Thousands of individuals were slain, but in it also came the hand of God. God was working even back then to bring Jerusalem to the forefront. Now, we'll explain later how that is. And God had compassion too. And so the state of Israel was voted into existence, you know this, in 1947. It was declared a state in 1948. A set time had come. In other words, it wasn't happenstance. It was a set time in the whole purpose of God, and God again was favoring Zion or Jerusalem. Now, for what purpose is showing this nation favor? Why is God doing this? When we read Psalms 102.15, it says, So the heathen or the nation shall fear the name of the Lord and the kings of the earth thy glory. As this state comes into existence, when it came into existence, the television age began. Now that is not a coincidence either. So we have Israel coming in as a nation, 1948. Man, that's been a long time. But yet it was God's set time. He began something. We miss this a lot of time because it didn't happen yesterday and didn't happen today and progressively on. Notice again, God's time is not our time. So this began, 1948, God began his eternal purpose of bringing Jerusalem back into the forefront where individuals could see them. Now there's a reason he is doing that. And I will read that to you in just a moment. 
There is always something happening in Jerusalem. It's continually now in the face of the whole earth. And it has the third largest permanently stationed press corps in this earth. And they are using that continually to keep uh, Jerusalem right in the forefront of the world. As I said, something is always happening there. And God wants everybody to see it because, listen to this closely, Israel's restoration... What he is doing now is connected to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he does there is connected with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want proof of that? Verse 16, When the Lord shall build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. Now whether we want to realize it or not, he is building up Zion. I don't know exactly just how much farther he has got to go, what he's got to do, but it also says now when he starts and when he builds up Zion, he's going to appear in his glory. Now this tells me that we're not 50 or 100 or 25 years away from the coming of the Lord. He is busy with set times revealing his truth, asking individuals to see and understand what this world is in, the chaos it's in, and what part his church can play in it. Now today the Lord is literally building up this city that 100 years ago only had 15,000 residents. In other words, Mark Twain said this about it in the 1800s. He called it a neglected, forlorn, forlorn religious relic that nobody cares about. That was just 100 years ago. And now then, since it has been in the hands of Israel, uh, so-called in that day, the, the city has half a million people and it's growing all the time and it is the center of the world's controversy. You can't mention anything about what is happening in the world without getting Israel in the middle of that, that little nation of Israel. All of this is simply because Jerusalem has to be seen. Now verse 16b is saying, when you see the Lord build up Zion, he shall appear in his glory. Now that's what Jerusalem's restoration means. Whether we want to understand it or believe it or not, as he continues to build up Jerusalem, as he continues to keep it in the forefront, it simply means that soon the Lord will appear in his glory. Okay, a lot of things got to happen yet, but also, verse 18 is for us. This shall be written for the generation to come. Now, in the original Hebrew or Aramaic, it is actually saying this is written for the last generation. In other words, the generation that sees all these things going on and the restoration of Jerusalem and being it in the hands of where it belongs will be alive when Jesus comes. Now, we're seeing a lot of those. And uh, we just as well, now I don't know whether uh, old people like me is going to make it or not, but there's a whole lot of young people here that possibly can see the coming of the Lord. And we need to understand it's not a funny thing. What I'm saying is I think we need to get past the goosebump stage and get into prophetic understanding about what is happening all around us and know that it's God's program thing for us and we need to understand it. It will give us hope. It will give us courage. It will bring us to our knees. It will bring us off our knees. And it will make us understand the eternal purpose of God in our life, 
individually as well as the eternal purpose of God in this individual church. What we do, how we perform, what we say, what our prayer program is, what our witnessing program is, what the moving power of the Holy Ghost in our life, and just how interested we are means something as far as God is concerned. Now, I don't know what that does to you, but if anything ought to motivate us to go and share the light of this world that is in darkness, it is this one thing that the time is short. We don't have very long to mess around. We don't have very long to waste our time. We need to get on this thing with God and understand that He is working, has been working on this thing since 1948, uh, brought all of these things out of chaos, uh, out of the slaughter of millions of Jewish people, and used something that was bad for his good and brought it where the eyes of individuals can see. Now, all eyes are on Jerusalem because we're, going, we're trying to guess what is going to happen now. You see, the last leader, Netanyahu, was not going to give the city back to the Arabs. He was not going to do it. And so with much pressure, we have another one that's coming in and he says... He's going to talk peace with them. And possibly, if something doesn't happen, there will be war break out very soon because Israel's people is not going to give Jerusalem back. All right? Zechariah chapter 12 reveals that all nations will gather to battle against Jerusalem. One hundred years ago, that would have sounded like nonsense. Who would want to fight for that country who cares about Jerusalem? What nation would battle over little old Jerusalem? But now it's the central issue of the United Nations. Why does everybody want Jerusalem? Why does the Arabs want Jerusalem? What is, what, what is happening? Why is this the central issue? We'll get to that in a little more, more, bit more. What's going on in Bosnia? What's going on in Serbia? Is a warning to Israel simply because we are actually in the world domination of a new world church, or not church, but a new world order. Okay, now it's a warning to Israel because the world has determined that Israel will give back the eastern half of Jerusalem to Yasser Arafat and the Palestinian and the Muslims. Now whether you want to realize it or not, it has always been that we have looked to the Catholics and they'll have their part, of course, leadership uh, in the last days, but you have not noticed the movement of the Muslims. You have not noticed their power. You have not noticed how uh, great nations, even our own nation, seems to side with those that are Muslim. Now when you look there in Bosnia and Serbia, you're going to find uh, that on one side is Muslims, on the other side, of course, is Christians. We have taken the side of the Muslims. In other words, we have said we went in there to stop the slaughter. That's another message. I don't want to mess with that. Uh, but, but, but we went in there and we went in there the wrong way. So we are looking at that the Muslim, for the Muslims. Now, why is all of this stuff going on? The Jerusalem and the Temple Mount is very important to the Muslims. Now, I want you to notice the importance. Why they would be willing to fight? Why are they getting the nations there? They believe that having the Temple Mount in their possession shows the world that their faith is the final truth. In other words, whoever controls Jerusalem, whether it is Israel, whether it is Christianity, those that look uh, to God, you say, well, 
uh, the Jews are not Christians, well, they believe in the one God, all right? And uh, so when, when we look at that, whichever one is controlling Jerusalem, at the end is going to be the faith they believe that says the final truth. Now, when the Crusaders took Jerusalem from the, from the Muslims, they started a jihad, which is a holy war, and they took it back. Now, in this century, the British took the city of Jerusalem at the end of World War I, and they promised the Jews a homeland, and the Muslims thought that Allah would never allow it. So in 1948, when Israel became a state, the Muslims called it Anukbah. In other words, that means the catastrophe. In other words, that was to them a catastrophe in a spiritual sense, because they were feeling they controlled it, which means that their truth is the final truth. And uh, then, of course, when Israel in 1967 took the eastern half of the city, the Temple Mount, the Old Wall City, and the Mount of Olives, it was so awful that the Muslim didn't even have a word for it. So in the Arab world, if you'll notice, they do not even acknowledge the state of Israel in most of their textbooks. In fact, they don't acknowledge them at all. And they are so concerned and so convinced that all of this is going to be reversed and Allah is going to give them back Jerusalem. That's what is on the peace table now. That is why prayer needs to go forth for those individuals because we are standing upon the verge of a war that uh, I don't think we're going to be able to avoid. In 1993, on the White House lawn, the Israelis and the Palestinians signed the Oslo Peace Accord in which Israel agreed to negotiate the final status of Jerusalem. Now, that is verifiable. They just agreed to negotiate that. But the whole Muslim world interpreted this as a sign that Israel was going to give them back the eastern half of the city. That wasn't part of it at all. They only agreed to no negotiate this. And so with all of that, they've got nations on their side saying Israel is reneging upon their promise. And that's no such thing. So that was a five-year our Oslo Peace Accord, that ran out in May 1998, and Arafat has said that he would declare a unilateral state with Holy Jerusalem as its capital. This is what they're working on, and that would be a declaration of statehood. Now, over 100 countries have already said they would recognize this declaration. So you have 100 countries surrounding, most of them Muslim countries, most of them Arabs, have saying if he does this, we will recognize that. So Arafat still thinks it's going to happen, and Israel is just going to have to accept it. But the Israelis see Arafat's strategy as a declaration of war. And so we've got the battle over Jerusalem that is ascending. It is a hot spot. It could almost erupt almost any time. And the Muslim world has made it clear that they are not going to let this issue die. It is so important to them to prove to the world that the Muslim faith is the true faith that they will do anything in the world to get it back. And we have a whole world that is simply tipped sideways, siding in every area with those of the Muslim faith. God, wake us up as the United States of America and get church people on their knees and pray some way God salvage this thing for the world. Christianity, of course, is what God put in essence, put the program in there, and God help us not to overturn that in our way. So you see, it, uh, it says to me, actually that we're entering into the final phase of history that Zechariah talks about, and he says, the end of days 
when the battle of Jerusalem will loom at the center. So you're getting close. Now I realize we say, well, let's just don't worry about this. God will take care of that. But he also gave us a responsibility. Now, if he was going to handle everything, why did he say, watch and pray? Why did he say, view the signs of time? Why would he warn us to get our eyes open if he's just going to handle it while our head was in the sand? You see, he wants us and his church aware, just like he said to Abraham, I can't hide from my friend Abraham what I am going to do. He wants the ears of the church open. He wants a sensitivity to us so he can talk to us and tell us where we're at and what is going on in our life and what we can do about it. Okay? Now, when we talk about the end of battle, now, the Bible is pretty specific about this. Uh, in the war with Israel, it's going to involve Syria. Iraq is going to be part of it. Jordan is going to be part of it, according to Scripture. And even uh, the nation that allowed us to keep our troops there in the Gulf War, Saudi Arabia, which is actually totally Muslim individuals, is going to be involved in an attempt to take Jerusalem. Now, Zechariah seems to imply, and all of this is just, just leading up, opening our eyes, making us understand. He seems to imply that nuclear warheads is going to be used because he says that the city of Damascus will be leveled and no one will live thereafter, only the flocks will be wandering around. Now, I think that we will see the rise of a worldwide antichrist, probably out of Europe, with designs to impose a peace on Israel. In other words, somebody is going to rise up to keep this thing from just blowing up in their faces. Okay, so there is prophesied, of course, an antichrist. Of course, the Bible says, John does, that there are many antichrists in the world, even back then. But it's going to culminate into one antichrist. In other words, what we're going to see is the devil incarnate in a man. Now then, if you know his evil, and you know what he can do, then you know nothing is beyond him. So I think when all of this is happening around Jerusalem, they're about ready to fight, and uh, the cover is about ready to be blow blown off, in order to solve the problem, we're going to see, and keep your eyes open because it is going to happen, we're going to see a worldwide antichrist probably coming out of Europe with a design to impose peace in Jerusalem. He is going to find some way, somehow, to get peace in Jerusalem. He's going to do his best to keep this thing from exploding because he has to do that because the devil knows what is happening and his plans are, of course, to get the temple built and his plans are, of course, to occupy the temple and say that he is God. Now, the way the church world is going today, thousands of individuals, Christians, would accept this false Messiah because we haven't been sensitive enough to what is happening. And he is just right around the corner. It's not something that's going to happen maybe uh, 35 or 40 years away. It's right around the corner. Probably he's alive today. I don't know that for sure. But I do know that there are dark days ahead of us. I know economically and politically, all over the world, there are some dark days. But in spite of this, and that's what God is trying to get us to see, God is on the throne. In other words, Psalmist David pouring out his heart about the adversities that's surrounding there finally come to the conclusion, well, God, you're on the throne. And things that are happening in our world today is happening according to the revealed blueprint of God. It is not any surprise to God what is going on 
fact of business is his set time. He is right in the middle of that. But what he is wanting, what he is crying out for, is for his church to wake up, take their stand, and understand they do have a program that they must fulfill. Which means we have to get a little more studious. We have to spend a little more time in the Word of God. We have to listen a little bit closer. We have to understand that we, many of us, probably will be here. Amen, Brother Hosko. Now, if you've got any, uh, if you've got any uh, qualms about not being here, I pray you're not. If you've got any problems about God coming in the, in the middle of all these things and taking you up out of it, you need to read your Bible a little closer. Amen. The greatest glory of the church has always been when it rises in the midst of all of this and shines forth with the glory of God. You say, well, I don't think I could stand it. Well, with the power of God in your life, He thinks you can. They have all down through the creation of time. They're still doing it today. Individuals are being slaughtered. Missionaries are being killed. Now imagine now, imagine a little teenage schoolgirl in Colorado saying she was a Christian in the face of a gun. God help us. Can we do that? And yet, face with that, knowing that to deny this, of course, would send her soul to hell, she was willing to die for her faith. People all throughout the centuries have been willing to die for their faith. I heard one individual say, well, it's not any problem when they come to me. I'll just tell them, yes, uh, I agree with whatever you agree, but they say, I ain't going to mean it in my heart. <laughs> that ain't going to work. Forget that. That's a ploy that's not going to work. You need to stress who you are and what you are. And what we need to look at as Thomas David, so disturbed, I mean, his hands was tied, finally come to the realization, he poured it all out before God, and then he listened. And he come to the conclusion that God was alive. He come to the conclusion that God had a set time, a revealed blueprint. Now, when I look into Bible prophecies, and when I see the dark days ahead, and when I see the blood of the saints that has been before, that is being now, and will be even more in the last half of the tribulation period of time, I cannot help ask God, and I did ask Him, why do these end times events have to be so dark? Why do they have to be so bloody? Why do they have to be so awful? God, why can't you do this another way? Now, that was my question. That was what I was pouring out to God. I don't know what exactly David was saying. But God's answer was this. Son, this earth has a severe cancer. That cancer is sin. And it has gone to the cells of every part of this earth and every part of humanity. And it is so severe that in order to rid this world of it, I must operate to get rid of it. I have given my word, he says, and also the blueprint of how I'm going to do it is in the Bible. Now, all you got to do is read the Bible and God tells you what he's going to do about this sin-cursed world. Okay? Now, it centers on my land, he says, and it affects the whole world. And he says, now, my treatment is going to include some radical surgery and some radiation treatment and then some therapy. And then he says again, and I like this, 
He says again, after I poured out my heart to them, trying to understand, God, why would you do this? Why have you done this all these years? Surely there's a better way. And then he, after he says, I have to do it, it has to be done, I had to judge Israel because of the justness and my holiness. I have to redeem my holiness. I can't just allow it to go on. There comes a period of time where I've got to stop it. And this is what he's saying in our day and hour. All these things that we are going to face, he leaves us with a hope. With a hope like he left Israel of old restoration. Of bringing it all back. Coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. An establishment of his wonderful kingdom upon this earth for 1,000 years with Jerusalem, lowly Jerusalem, which is in the news and everybody's fighting about. You know where he's going to come? He's going to come right at Jerusalem. That's where he's going to come because this is his city. And all eyes are on there as all nations, almost all nations, gather together against Jerusalem. The Bible says the Lord descends with his army and might and destroys the powers of hell and moves the beast's power from there, binds him a thousand years, and he himself sits upon his father David's throne, which is Jerusalem. And there he gives us hope. The cancer is removed, but that's not all. During the thousand years, there's a therapy that goes on. All the sin is not gone yet. It's to be dealt with. That's what he says to me. Sin will be dealt with. I'm going to remove the cancer, but sin is to be dealt with. And I'm going to eventually purify this whole world. In other words, he proposed this years ago when he called Israel out from the land and said, I want you to be separate. I don't want you like the heathen. The heathen have many gods and the heathen have idols. I don't want you like the heathens. So I'm going to pull you out from among them. I'm going to make you a separate nation and I'm going to be your God and you are going to be my people. In other words, what he's really saying is I'm going to take from this great ocean of humanity, I'm going to take a small river or a small reel and I'm going to turn it loose in all of this mass of humanity and in the ocean of humanity and as that little river in its cleanliness flows, it's going to purify this great ocean of despair. Now that's God's promise and we need to understand that. Dark days are ahead. We'll see many of them. We'll have a lot of questions. But if we don't get a hold of the hope of Jesus Christ and of His promise and the job He's got for us, if we don't get a hold of that and try our best to turn this world around, God will hold us accountable. Now I pray this, and I've said it often and I'm going to close in just a few minutes. I've said this, the only nation, now America is mentioned in the Bible, Amen. Now you can't tell me that a great nation like this that, that's arrived and it's been the, uh, it's been the nucleus uh, of Christianity is never mentioned in the Bible. It's in there. I'll get to that one of these other times. Maybe I'm sure you probably even, even know it. But uh, what, he's, what he's trying to do is to show us that there's a lot to be done. And our world and our nation has to be turned around. Now of all the nations, almost all of them, God has decided their fate. Look in your Bible, it calls them by name. Some of them names have changed, but it's, de it's decided, God has decided their fate. All but the United States of America. And one of these days I'll get to that. He has left. Same way he did with Israel. 
He's left the decision of what happens in our nation to us. Now then, we know. God help me to stop. We know that there's going to be a mark of the beast. That thing is already, already to go. We're in a cashless society now. The Bible says unless you have this, now they're really not sure exactly how it's going to be done, but they're having problems with these little cards because people can steal them. So they're going to have to come up with something where people can't steal. So if they do it like they're wanting to do it, it'll be implanted in your hand or in your forehead and (laughs) they can't steal you. Okay, so they're working toward that thing. You see how close we are. How close we are. And it's getting to the place to where it's really scary to me, and I don't mean to alarm you, but it's scary in a sense it's because we're not waking up. We're not concerned enough. We, we, we've, got, uh, we've got, in a sense, selfish attitudes, uh, and, and we're allowing the devil to put his tentacles around us and squeeze the very life out of us, and we're enjoying it while he does. Because our mind has went so far, as, uh, and he's taken almost everything, everything from us. But like I said, we are coming to the place to where decisions have to be made. And we're going to, we already have a global community. <laughs> we already have that. I'll deal with that a little bit later if you stay with me. got a lot of things I need to cover before I get away from here. All right? So you may not, for a while, you may not have evangelistic services as per se. Because there's a lot of things that need to be said. And if I can get rested up enough to get into it. But anyway, this is coming worldwide. It's going to be demanded worldwide. <clears throat> and the only hope that we as a nation have is for our nation not to accept. It's going to be offered nationally first, the mark is. One world currency, okay, we don't have to accept it. Now, if we can get leaders in there that are not greedy and that have a little bit of spiritual knowledge at all and we can get the church on its knees, our nation can still be salvaged. And see, if our nation doesn't accept the mark, then it doesn't come down individually to us. That's why it's important that we pray. That's why it's important that we turn this world around. Because all the atrocities that is going to happen because of the mark of the beast, our nation could escape if we could turn around. And again, God leaves that to us. Choose you this day, he said to Joshua, whom you will serve. And the, and, and the choice is ours. He has given us that. He doesn't say in there any place exactly what is going to happen to us because the end of the story is left to us. God, wake us up. God, get us on our knees. Don't let the devil take any more of our prayer time for play time. All right? Let's give it all to God. And let's understand, hey, it doesn't take a bunch of people, it doesn't take every seat in this, this church field for us to do some things. It doesn't. God never did use the majority. He always used the minority. And he's always had a remnant. He does his best work with the remnant. Okay? And so if you consider yourself a remnant, a piece, a leftover, and that's what we are as far as the world is concerned, you consider you that. 
God can work through us. Shall we stand?